Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. Evan Shutt was one of the first employees at 72 and Sunny. 17 years later, she's running the agency as global CEO. During that time, the creative industry has evolved and the agency has also along with it. 72 and Sunny is leaning into consulting and mid-funnel work to expand its heritage in building iconic brand platforms for clients like the NFL and United Airlines. More recently, it's embracing the zeitgeist around sports, landing Wilson Sporting Goods as a client in November and pushing its clients to do more with women's sports as popularity grows. In this episode, Shut also chats about 72 and Sunny's commitment to DE&I and flexible work as the industry pushes for more employees to come back in person. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Evan. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we're sitting here. It's December. So tell me about 72 and Sunny's year. How was how was 2023 for the agency? Uh, it's been a good year, actually. You know, I look at it as relentless progress, and uh, it's been just that for us. I think 2022 was a much more challenging year in terms of um, kind of, I think we saw the spike in 2021 of brands needing big brand platforms. We saw some of that tail off in 2022. And I think with like the constant dynamic of change, we're seeing a real uptick in in partnerships and opportunities. So that's been great. And I think we've made some really key hires in leadership. So for me, that's exciting all around. Yeah. So talk about the client landscape. I know you sort of, you said that things were busy and then they slowed down in 22. What are brands sort of coming to you for this year? Like, is it still that big brand platform? Talk about the new business landscape a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely still the big brand platform, but I think how that manifests is drastically different from how it did many, you know, even two years ago, even a year ago. Right. Um, And I think what that's done for us is the, the dynamic parts of the industry continues us to constantly evolve what our product is and what our output is for our clients. So what remains is brands need that North Star of how they make decisions. The United Airlines good leads the way. That's as much as an external message as, as it is a guideline for the gate agent and mm-hmm. making decisions and in a tough situation, which they are put in probably more than any human on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if sometimes for us that manifests in doing a campaign, other times it's mid funnel level work. Other times it's social advisement and partnerships with the IAT. Other times it's just high level strategic work with their C suite. It, it mm-hmm. just kind of varies. And I think when you're a company like ours that is about these big brand platforms and really mattering in culture and driving impact for our clients and culture so that they can compete. The fact that these vehicles of like how we do it keep changing. I mean, like X was owned by someone else less than a year ago and had a different name to yep. its future. And, you know, so it creates a constant need for progress and evolution. Um, and so our ability to create a lasting platform that manifests in those different ways, the North Star remains the same. But what, what our product is and our output has to continue to evolve. Yeah, I think you're you're hitting on a really important trend, which is like, just the the shift in like what a brand platform is and how it lives. I think in the past, it's really associated with like that hero film or ad. 
But now it is something that has to just show up and be consistent in all those different places. So how has that kind of changed the way that you work with clients to like land on these big ideas and then figure out where they're going to live? Well, I think so much of the work is done internally before it can even go external, right? I think the shift towards the power of employees that we have felt in our industry is true across the board for all industries. So, uh, you know, where, where we're headed with this big brand platform for a client, there has to be truth to it internally and the experience of employees and employees have to own it first and foremost. And so in a lot of ways, that creates a delay of go to market, right? Because you have to figure out that that socialization. And oftentimes, you know, our strategy is bring them in, bring them close, make them feel a part of it. Um, usually that helps move it faster and, and it's more true and it, it does better um, faster. But then I think from there, it, we can turn to the external and what is the best canvas to paint on, if you will. And, you know, I think there's some brands that are like, we're going to let creators and influencers tell the story for us in their own way. And then other times they still want a big anthem or they want to own out of home. Who knows what it might be, but it is Mm -hmm. all over the place for sure. Yeah. I think the key is like, there's no starting point. There's no like, okay, we start with the film, right? It's like, and I think to your point about making sure that the employees live out that like sort of brand promise is, is definitely different than in the past where it was really just more about like, tell the, tell the story, say the message. Um, so, uh, one thing I think 72 and sunny has done in response to that is you've launched your consultancy, right? So talk about that part of the business and how that's changed your relationship with clients. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. 72 and Sunny, you know, we get put in the category of a creative agency quite a bit, which totally good with that. But since I've been here, which is day one, um, we've always had a slide in our creds at strategy first. And I think the strategists on our team don't get the fame necessarily that the creatives have, but usually once clients are in the door, they fall in love with them and they know the value of the, the strategic offering we have. And what we realized over the last few years is more and more clients were coming to us with their really high level business challenges, not just marketing challenges, not just branding challenges. This is the challenge for our, our company. And so how, did, how could we create a better partnership for them and then figure out how that translates to, again, the marketing is both internal and external and what that manifests as. So being led by Brian Smith. Um, who's our chief strategy officer, who's been at 72 and Sunny for over um, 11 years and brings a ton of knowledge, having worked on some of the biggest brands that we've partnered with and just starting to really evolve how we can um, help bring that solution to clients. And I think our differentiator there is um, the power of creativity, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the our name's rooted in optimism and possibilities and, you know, how we paint the the possibilities and really make them actionable and not just a hundred page deck that then sits on the shelf. How do we help move it to action? We tend to have a bias for action in everything we do, a bit of an impatience. So, you know, any strategic product we have today also really drives to action. Yeah. I think it's interesting. What you said is like, you know, we, we get considered a creative agency, which we're good with, but there has to be more these days. Right. And I think that that's just sort of a, a reflection of how the market is changing. So I think 
like 72 and other agencies are leaning into strategy and consulting. Some are doing more production or whatever it is. Like, where do you see opportunities to like stand out and to grow into new like revenue streams as a creative agency? Um, for us, you know, it's definitely our strategic offering. Yeah. Um, for sure is a big one as we talked about. And then I think the other opportunities for us are really where we go deeper in the funnel than maybe we're seen as doing. So we do a ton of mid funnel work already. Um, but I don't know that we call it that the way clients do, they have a mid funnel agency. Um, and for me, I'm like, is it driving results? Can we track it? We're doing that type of work for some of our biggest clients, for some of our smallest clients. Um, and how do we talk about that and make sure we continue to do that is huge for us. And I think that keeps us deeper in a relationship and delivering more value ongoing versus just the big brand platform. Mm -hmm. When you look at the pressure that CMOs are under today of like, mm -hmm. we need to drive brand relevance. And I also need to sell X, Y, and Z in this quarter. Um, and so how do we make sure that the work that is coming our way is doing that? And if it's not that we're pushing because we know it's important and we can do it as well and we can do it at the value that other agencies can, but with the power of creativity to deliver better results. Yeah. What does some of that middle funnel work look like? Is it like influencer stuff? Is it digital ads? Like what, where does that show up? I think it just, you know, it depends on, I think everyone defines it differently as we've realized repeatedly as part of the problem. But when I look <laughs> at work we've done, it's always helpful to point to examples, right? Of like, okay, that, mm -hmm. that would fall into it. So we did work with Google for the a Barbie partnership. And we used um, creators for that on how to use the power of Google search and AI technology. And it was people who love Barbie inspired by Barbie finding outfits that match it. And that was influencer work, right? But it drove directly to the product and it was traceable and it was measurable and it was action oriented. Or for a sleep number where we're helping drive sales of beds in a quarter. And that might look like sales work running alongside big, big brand work at the same time. So um, that that's on more TV level and more digital storytelling that is created by the brand. So it can kind of come from anywhere. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like, you know, creatives who want to work at places like 72 and Sunny, big respected agencies like are they excited about that kind of work or do they still do the creatives still really want to work on the films or is it becoming more exciting to do this more actionable work? I think it's becoming more exciting because I think when you look at Gen Z, they grew up in a totally different era where they can kind of be like, I don't give a shit about the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, where I get my news, what I see is on TikTok. That's where I find things or on YouTube or whatever it might be. And they want to create content that people are going to see there. That's where their friends are. That's mm -hmm. what they care about in terms of status and recognition. And I think as an industry, we're behind in how to recognize the power of that work. You know, what still gets the glory is the big film, which is still really important. We're doing multiple Super Bowl ads. I, I believe in the power of it. NFL is a client. At the same time, NFL doesn't only do that. They have an mm -hmm. incredible social arm and they know the power and the importance of that as well when they look at attracting younger fans. Yeah. Um, well, you brought up Super Bowl. So I know that 72 and Sunny is usually involved in the Super Bowl. I don't know what you can or can't tell me now, but talk a little bit about like any trends you're seeing as you kind of develop the work for this year. Yeah. Well, I can't say a lot. We're excited <laughs> about it. We're in production on, on uh, quite a few things. I do think last year we saw the return of humor. 
I think there'd been a, a uncertainty in culture, understandably, over the pandemic and um, everything else going on in the world of like, is humor okay? And I think mm-hmm. we started to see it come back a little bit last year and some winks and nods toward it. I'm excited to see if it continues to evolve because I think in that form of advertising at its best, it is entertaining and entertainment. Um, and that's what people remember. I do know there's a lot of data, though, that what's memorable, how many people can remember who the advertiser was. They might remember the ad. I think there was something recently about even farmer's dog. People could remember the dog but had no idea the brand, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's a direct challenge to every agency working on a Super Bowl ad right now of how do you make it uniquely ownable to that brand? Well, I think like as we were talking about the the way the brand platform is evolving and the way that Gen Z is evolving, the way that they interact with creative, like Super Bowl is is a kind of a microcosm of that, right? Because it used to be all about the 60 second spot that you're going to air during the game. Now you have to be in so many other places. It has to be like a whole coordinated campaign. Um, How has that changed the way you approach these, these Super Bowl campaigns? Well, I think it just requires the more holistic point of view. I think Luckily, as a company who's all about the power of culture to drive impact for our clients, it's just harnessing different devices now, right? It's not just the TV spot. It's also about the experiential piece of it. It's about the social platform piece of it. And that's pretty exciting and really fun because you get to partner with a whole different, you know, it's not just what director and actor you pick. It's also who are the influencers, who are the creatives, what is the experience outside the stadium if you're doing something. Um, And then you add in that it's in Vegas this year and it just gets even crazier. (laughs) Yeah, it does tend to do that in Vegas, right? Um, Well, I know sports in general is a big focus for 72 and Sunny. You have, like you said, the NFL as a client. You just won the Wilson account, which was really exciting. You have spoken a lot about women's sports. Like, why do you see this as a really vibrant niche for you guys to get into? Well, I think it's in our history and our DNA, right? Um, Of the early employees, quite a few of us were college athletes and very passionate about the role that it played in our lives and also competitors, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Who who like to win, no doubt. Um, But I think there's a real moment as we look at the use of television and what people are watching. And obviously live sports are through the roof in terms of like the live programming that people still watch today and that crosses generations. So for for brands who want to reach people in real time, in relevant moments, it's huge. And then you bring in women's sports and the moment it's having in the zeitgeist right now, which is just unbelievable. You can go back to, you know, the Women's World Cup, the Nebraska volleyball match, the women's basketball match at Iowa, and the records just keep getting broken. And um, the new NWSL deal that they just struck with broadcast rights that is bigger than ever before, the value of the teams. And, you know, I think the change comes when brands start to invest in these things and understand the value of it. And now's the time if you're a brand, because it's only going to get more expensive. And if you want to be on the ground of like building these clients or building these brands and the opportunities, now's the moment. Yeah. I mean, to that point, do you feel like brands are looking for new spaces to play in sports, no pun intended, because (laughs) they, um, because like the mainstream, like men's national leagues are so expensive and, and so locked it locked up for, for lack of a better term. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think you take this moment in culture that demands transparency and authenticity, and you marry that with women in particular who have had to tell our own stories for many years because no one else was asking um, and who built their own platforms on social to tell their own stories. And so brands have had better be authentic if they're going to dig in and partner with women's sports and women's athletes. And so it is a different challenge, I think, than just throw a ton of money at it as you can in, in some men's sports, not all of them. And I think even, you know, NFL, as we look at it, they know flag is a huge part of their future. And that, in, that is inclusive of men and women and how that comes about and, and the work they're doing there of really leading the way. And now it's in the Olympics in LA in 28. And so I think, if, but they can do that because they're walking the walk and they've been supporting mm-hmm. flag leagues for a long time. Right. And so I think for other brands, it's a real lesson of like you need to make sure it's authentic to who you are um, in a way that I don't think you always had to historically in some of the other male sports. Yeah, super interesting. So I want to talk a little bit more about your plans for the agency. I know that, um, you know, 72 and Sunny, obviously the name implies a very L.A. <laughs> centric agency, but you're investing a lot in New York. You're actually in New York today while we're talking, although we didn't know. So we could have done this in person, but um, tell me about your plans for New York and and why that's like such a strategic growth area. Yeah. Well, you know, first fun, fun fact about our name, like it, it does speak to the common weather when you land in Los Angeles, but we started in LA and Amsterdam technically on the same day. And it's really meant to be a statement of optimism in an industry that can be pretty sarcastic. Um, and, you know, that's not positivity. That's We acknowledge there's problems and challenges, but we are pretty committed that there's always an opportunity somewhere in every challenge and finding it and then finding the opportunity that goes along with it. So um, that's the root of the name. And New York has been an office that um, has been around for about 10 years now, Um, really started with our Smirnoff client at the time. Um, And it's one that it took us a bit to get our feet because we do bring relentless optimism, which, you know, in New York didn't fly (laughs) right away. (laughs) I'm chuckling because I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, I think uh, (laughs) optimism with an edge was working maybe a little bit better here. Um, I'm looking to see if you're like, yes, no. Um, (laughs) Has to have a little like healthy skepticism, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's an office that's done some incredible work, has worked with Comcast and the Olympics for years. My favorite piece of work they did was for uh, Smirnoff in um, 2020, where they had a it was on a bus shelter in New York. And it says said we'd be happy to talk about our Russian ties under oath. Right. Um, (laughs) In real time. That's a good one. To things happening in the world. And, you know, I think it's finding the New York culture of our impact and culture is what that's about. And it's why I'm so excited to have uh, Jeff and Juliana, a part of the team leading it now. I think two people who have played a big role in New York for quite some time and on some massive brands. So um, it's exciting. Yeah. So what are your like ambitions just to, to are you are you hiring? Um, obviously, I'm sure going for more clients, but like what's sort of the plan here? Yeah, continue to grow. For me, the the growth of the company is about more opportunities for the people we have, right? Like Mm -hmm. this company is only as good as the people we have. We're fortunate that we have built a culture and a way of working that attracts incredible people. It's why our clients keep coming back to us. 
And so I think the goal is to continue to build on what we've had in New York and take it to the the next level to open up more impact and opportunities. So, yeah, I don't there's I don't buy into the like you can get too big that it's not good. Um, I think we've continued to push against that theory. um, And New York is an example of that, which is exciting for us. Yeah. Well, like you said, you've been at the agency since day one. Um, It seems like a lot of talent has stayed over the years. Like talk about like, what's it been like for you to kind of watch this agency grow from LA, New York to now being sort of one of the most well-known creative agencies in the space global. And you're the CEO. Like, how's that? Talk about that trajectory. It's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I still laugh when, you know, we'll have someone in from uh, a college and they'll talk about a case study with our name in it. And I, I, still remember having to spell our name for every production company we would call begging for a favor um, in the early days. And we definitely have nicer bathrooms than we had at the start. <laughs> so that's good. But it's been an incredible ride. I, um, you know, I love to learn and it has no shortage of that and it has no shortage of challenges and inspiration at the same time. So for me, though, it's ultimately the people. And I think the the way we model it uh, from a leadership standpoint, which, you know, was modeled for me when I came in of everyone's voice matters, asking for points of view. You know, when John and Glenn were starting the company, they were very clear that wouldn't things be solved easier if we put it at the middle of the table and we asked others for input versus went into a room by ourselves or passed a brief from person to person. So how do we, you know, encourage more to speak up. They valued my point of view when I was three days off from teaching and trying to figure out what was going on. Um, And so how do we model that at the scale we're at now? You just keep doing it. Right. Um, And we're pretty relentless in our commitment to that. Yeah. So talk about, I mean, talk about how you got into advertising. You said you were a teacher. What, what got you into this pivot into this field? Yes, I did a program called Teach for America. So I was teaching in um, South Los Angeles and um, they had a partnership with a graduate program, Loyola Marymount. So I was doing that in order to be a credential teacher. And a woman who was in it had worked at Wyden Kennedy and happens to now be married to one of the founders of 72 and Sunny. So uh, I kept saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought I was headed for law school. Um, I agreed to meet with Glenn and John and Robert Nakata, who's a founder, and just kind of, you know, try it maybe. I like to joke with them that I took a pay cut from teaching when I started, (laughs) Um, but that's also because they didn't have any clients yet. Um, And I tried it for a year. I then went back to teaching actually for two years. Um, And at the end of those two years, after uh, many phone calls from Glenn, who's Uh, an incredible visionary and also knows how to constantly check in and be like, are you sure? Are you sure? I realized, you know, where I was happiest was at 72 and sunny and what we could create and build and inspired by what they were doing. And, you know, maybe there was a path where I could merge my passions um, with education and access to education for all kids in this country Um, with creativity. So I came back and then I've kind of worn every hat over 20 years. Um, So I've learned a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And you've worked your way up to the top. Like, did you ever sort of expect that to happen? I know there's not a lot of female agency CEOs. So like, talk about like what it took to kind of get there. Yeah. Well, I'm so fortunate to have had John and Glenn and Matt Jarvis who pulled me in and believed in me and put me in conversations, um, weren't afraid to answer my questions and also just mentored me. Um, incredibly and have, you know, they each have amazing wives and partners who are also very successful in the world. And so I think they weren't intimidated or didn't think twice about the fact that I was a female. Um, you know, if anything, as, as the time advanced and this conversation started about this role, I was pretty apprehensive. You know, I, I did my homework. There's not a lot of people who succeed in this role after the founders at a creative agency. Um, and I, I had to make sure I had the reason to do it. You know, if I wanted to do it, what I was going to do uh, and why with the company, we'd done so much by that point in 2019. Um, and ultimately it was reconciling with where we just were a few minutes ago. Like it's about opportunities for people and mm -hmm. the belief that like this industry needs more diversity and more access. And, and that's the way the business will survive. And it's an imperative in the world. And so those are things I believe in. And so getting to lead a company that can do that and it's so tied to the business, it can't go away was pretty exciting. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. We um, recognized 72 and Sunny as an inclusive workplace in our agency performance review last year. And at the time of writing that, you were working on getting parity with U.S. Census data. Has that happened? And like, what are some of the things you've been doing in the past year to push on that commitment to DE&I? Yeah, I mean, we continue to push on all levels, right? And I think we've learned things the hard the hard way over the years. I think like many of us are, none of us are perfect. It's a journey. Um, we uh, are doing really well on diverse representation, which is exciting. I think we're over 40% people of color in the company in North America, which for me just means we've got more people bringing perspectives and their experience so we can be better partners for our clients, right? And it's not just about recruitment. As we know, I think that's, you know, one of the things we did wrong early on. It's about creating an environment of inclusivity and belonging. And so we've done quite a bit of work. We have Brittany Allen, who leads DEI for us, who's amazing. She and I work very closely together on all things. And that's everything from ERGs to mandatory anti-bias training, our continued partnership with Glenn Singleton and Courageous Conversations, which I think is almost going on 10 years at this wow. point um, in his coaching of our leadership team as a whole and how we can continue to drive change and impact. And I think also our, our leadership representation is critical. The see it, be it uh, reality is real. And so when I look at our C-suite and um, our diversity there is incredible. Our, our diversity across our office leadership is getting better. It's making us a better company across the board. Yeah. Um, I feel like as we've been reporting on DE&I, like we've definitely noticed that campaign a decrease in conversations about it. A lot of DE&I leaders got laid off this year. Do you feel like the industry has sort of like taken its foot off the gas pedal on, on its commitment to DE&I? I'm not sure if it's taken the, the foot off the gas. I think it's become a bit more of um, you better be doing it. Mm. So, you know, I think there was so much talk about it and lack of action for so many years 
that I'm hoping, and you know, from the other agency leaders I talk to, I see change and I know they're doing it, that it's just becoming the, the bar that you better be uh, delivering on in order to be a better company, right? Um, and then I do think how we talk about it, I, Brittany and I had this conversation last night, actually, recent lawsuits, um, the repeal of affirmative action is changing how we have to act and behave mm-hmm. and what we can and can't say um, and how we track data. And it's all, um, it is what it is, but it doesn't change what we're committed to. But, it, you know, it probably opens our eyes to make sure we're being thorough across the board, which luckily we've got incredible talent leaders who are at our company. But I think that's also pressure and risk that agencies are facing now. Yeah, no, you have to be, it's not like a static thing, right? It's not like, okay, we figured out D and I, like it's an ongoing thing. And do you feel like, you know, certain things like affirmative action is already impacting the way you're approaching it or it's too early to tell? I, It's not impacting what we're doing and like the commitment to inclusive environment for everyone. Right. Um, I think much like there's the idea that like if you meet the people who have been least included, everyone benefits. Right. I think I truly believe that. But I think it's affecting how we report and what we track 100 percent because um, there's more liability. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. While we're on the topic of talent, as you know, you wrote one of our most read pieces last year about all of the changes you made to 72 and Sunny's benefits package after COVID. So talk a little bit about like how that's gone, how that's played out in the past year. And like, are there are you sticking with certain things? Are there changes you want to make? And and also, how has that changed now that everyone's kind of going back to the office? Because part of that was a, a flexible work policy was in there. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and thank you for your partnership on that, of course. Um, you know, I think a couple things are the conversation I have with Emily Venizelos all the time, who's our, our chief talent officer, is like, what is modern and what do our people want? Right. So like we're definitely ne- never static on our benefits and how we think about it. And we're constantly pushing. And our retention numbers last year, I think were over 80 percent. And I think the industry average was 70 So we saw the impact. Our leadership retention rate is at like 90 plus percent, almost 99 percent. But that's like scary for me to say that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you said it. (laughs) Um, So, you know, is it working? I'd say yes. You know, ironically, we're keeping people and I think making better work by giving people more, more time off, more time for recovery, more time for inspiration. And then, you know, in terms of our our work from X policy, we've continued to listen to our people. Currently in North America, we have like a start stronger week where everyone's in office. In L.A., it's the first week of every month. In New York, it's the second week of every month so that people across North America can be in both offices. And then it's at key beats when key clients are in town or key moments. We just ask people to show up. And it's with the understanding that we believe there's moments of collision that make for better creativity. We know that if people are coming in, they want training. Sabrina and I had this conversation actually a few months ago of kind of insights she had gleaned in her different interviews. And I thought it was so insightful of like, if I'm coming in, I want it to be good for me. Um, And so we've been able to really program those weeks in office to not only do trainings that we've missed out on over COVID and, but also 
work on the work together and have creative collisions. And then also trainings and mentorship. All one-on-ones happen during those weeks and make it worth the time if you're in. And likewise, if, if a key client's in or it's a key moment of a briefing, we're going to do it in person because we know great ideas often come in that next hour right after that meeting if we're all around the table and putting the work at the center of why and when we come together versus just a real estate reality. Yeah, no, for sure. It's interesting. I was going to say like, because a lot of creative agency leaders I speak to are very much like, no, we have to be back in. Like, I'm over this. Like, let's get everyone back in the office. The work is better. But it seems like maybe that's not necessarily the case for you. I, I, you feel like the the it's still working this way, giving people more flexibility. It is. And, you know, are there moments where when we're all together, we're like, oh, that moved much faster? Of course. Um, Mm -hmm. Are we always going to be like this? I'm not sure. But I also don't believe in just going back to how things were like we have to learn from history, not necessarily repeat it. So I'm hesitant (laughs) to just, you know, return a mandate. And even those that have it, I hear a lot of people still aren't coming in. Mm. Um, and that's putting them in a tough position of, are they really going to part ways with people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see a lot of the, the fishbowl chatter about it. Right. So it's sort of, do you feel like in the long run being flexible kind of benefits you from a talent perspective? I think so. Definitely. We hear it from our people. They appreciate it. And we also have the transparent conversation of here's why it's important to be in the office at these beats and why it matters to the work and our clients. And if we can't do that, then that's why these other agencies are doing what they're doing. So like, we're all adults here. Let's just agree Mm -hmm. on on how we're going to show up and be responsible for this business together. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. It was great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me. It's great to catch up with you as well. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing.